You played it already. Good morning, son. I didn't give you a hug last I hear Rachel's happy. Got her house back. It's getting there, yeah. Much left to do. Um, little things, not not a lot, no. Ministries, and they just wrote a thank you letter here. It says, to the pastor, staff, and congregation, on behalf of UCAN City Mission and the guests we serve, I'd like to thank you for your recent cash donation of $200. We would not be able to accomplish the work if it weren't for your faithful support of local churches such as yours. Um, so that was a big help to them. If you look on the board this morning, we are raising money for people with different handicaps and disabilities. They go to Shepherd's, um, Shepherd's Home, which teaches them how to live independently. And we raised $497 just this morning in Sunday school for that. So that'll be headed out to them. Um, remember to use your bulletin to see when you're supposed to clean or be in nursery or preach so you don't forget when you're supposed to preach and uh, there's no bible study at the mazes this week so if you usually attend that there will be no bible study this week at the mazes pay attention to march 16th there'll be a baby shower for Alyssa moss moyer at uh 12 30 in the fellowship hall she's registered at walmart and target um bring a book for uh, baby abigail rose signed by you that's a really good idea to have any other announcements to go with that? Um, or any other announcements in general? Okay, if not, we'll get started. Turn your hymn book to 531. I know whom I have believed. 531, sing the first, second, and third verses. Oh, my heavenly. 
Scripture reading today is from Acts 28, verse, starting in verse 16. This gives us a little background of Paul's time in Rome in prison, which is the context of his letter to the Philippians, where he's at, which is... That time in prison, that time in Rome, is very relevant to today's message. Just bear with me here. Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. <clears throat> when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves 
and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but not perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this section of Acts 28, you, you get a glimpse, a picture of what it was like for Paul as a Roman prisoner, and that will, will play into our message today. And turn our hymn books to 541. Only trust him. 541. <clears throat> to share prayer requests and praises at this time. Okay, 
That's Doug Woolett. He is having trouble breathing. And he's in St. Vincent Hospital, so you could pray for him. Anybody else? Okay. Um, my wife won't stand up and say this because if she does, she'll probably weep. And we don't want don't want her to do that this morning. She's having a good morning. So anyway, not that it's not good. She has it's been put on social media, her need for a liver, and she's had at least three people who are willing that she knows that have actually called and talked to her. And there are more uh, apparently than that. And so, uh, praise the Lord. I mean, these are living donors, and this is what she needs. This living donor will keep her from going through the, the terrible part of the disease process, and that's important. Uh, that way she's not doing it like very end stage of life, which a lot of them, that's the way they get them. They get them right at the very end. So they go through a lot of the hardship before they get the liver, and living donors allow you to set that up ahead of time. So she's just praising the Lord, and so am I, that there are so many that are out there that um, have responded. Many are those who love her, and we appreciate that they'll do that. And so you just pray that God will help uh, work those out so that she receives the one that's best for her and that the person would be the best one for her. Okay? Um, she'll be traveling out on Wednesday. You can pray for her safety. She's flying, so when you're praying for her safety, you're probably praying for several hundred other people at the same time. <laughs> but uh, you can pray for that. The following Monday, I'll leave, and uh, then I'll bring her back with me. So you can be praying for that as well. Um, Helen went through her cardiovert. She said, uh, piece of cake. So, <laughs> so we're thankful that they... And it got you back in rhythm. Right. Praise the Lord. That's what we like to hear. So my cardiovert is this Tuesday. You can pray for that, that it will work the same way it did for her. Okay. If there's nothing else, we'll go ahead and pray. Gracious Father, we're so grateful for your love for us, for the opportunity to come to you, even as we saw in Romans, that opportunity to be praying for those who minister and praying for those in churches and praying for those in need. This morning, Lord, we're grateful for um, church people who love you and serve you and give of their lives to you. And, and we're grateful for the way that works out for, for many uh, who respond in difficult situations to help take care of things. We just want to praise you for the many people who have talked to about uh, Nita and her need for a liver and have responded to that. We're grateful for that and thankful that you work in such a great way. Lord, we're also praying for uh, Doug Woolett and his need uh, this, with his breathing, his lungs, and uh, just pray that you'll help in that, in that area as well, that you'll be caring for him and that he would especially be reminded of, of your love for him. And that he would respond to that. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to come together and to sing praises and to worship you and to hear your word and, and to enjoy our fellowship. Um, 
we're grateful for that and we pray for those who would leave us for a little while as they travel and that you give them grace as they do that and that you'd bring them back excited to worship again with their brothers and sisters. We thank you so much for your love for us now. Help us as we go on and sing to you and as we listen to your word and as Greg preaches, we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to stand and sing three songs. One will be new to you. We're just going to dive in. You heard it play maybe earlier and uh, it's a new song we're going to try out. Uh, but we're going to start with 10,000 Reasons. Let's stand and sing together.
this next song, I'm Going Free. It's a little spunkier. So you'll be singing right along. It'll be a little spunkier, a little louder, a little more exciting. And at one point, at the end of the third verse, music will stop for about three beats. And then I will say, one, two, three, sing. And you're supposed to sing, okay? So I wanted you not to be shocked by that. It's going to happen. Okay.
supposed to count those numbers so away we went but uh praise the lord isn't that a great song we're going free that was a request by the way if you have requests and you let me know we can work on them it just takes me time sometimes to get to them but if i forget one somebody does ask please remind me because i get pretty spacey sometimes so in case you didn't notice okay we're going to sing in need of prayer in need, need of grace. In need of grace, in need of love, in need of mercy, rain down from high above. In need of in need of peace, in need of things that only you can give to me, in need of Christ, the perfect Lamb, my refuge strong, the great I am, this is my From high above, in need of strength, in need of peace, in need of things that only you can give to me, in need of Christ, the perfect Lamb, my refuge strong. My humble plea, I am your child, I am in need, in need of Christ, the 
perfect love, my refuge strong, the great I am, this is my song, my humble plea, I am your child, I am in need, I am your child. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these songs to worship you with. Thank you that indeed we are free in Jesus Christ. Because of that, we're together. We fellowship together, love one another. Most of all, Lord, we know of your love to us and ours to you. So help us as we continue to worship you by hearing your word, by the preaching of the word, by those who will go and learn in other places. We praise you so much for your goodness. In Christ's name, amen. There is Junior Church. There is Junior Church Day, ages 4 to 7. We are continuing our journey through Philippians. I considered trying to get us through the rest of chapter one since this is my last Sunday, but I didn't know if I could do that and get you out of here before one o'clock or have you remember anything when it goes for that long. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 18 today. which really looks at that reminder that we had looking back at Acts chapter 28, where it sort of gives a description of Paul's imprisonment. If you keep that in your mind, the things that are going on in his imprisonment, as, you, as we look through this section, it helps to tie things together. Begin with the word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to Preach your word. Uh, pray that we can draw the glories contained therein from it, that I can speak clearly and succinctly, um, that this would, would bless us and we would bless each other in turn, and ultimately that you would be glorified. Amen. So we'll start by just reading. Beginning again, Philippians, start with verse 1, and I'll go up through verse 18, which will be 12 through 18 will be the preaching text. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart 
For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So in this section, Paul is addressing what are the likely concerns of the church in Philippi. They're probably concerned that his imprisonment has brought a halt to gospel work. That was Paul's mission. He took the gospel to places that had not had it before. And with him being in prison, there would have been some wondering, like, well, how, how can he continue that work? How is that going to go on? And so verses 12 through 26 are essentially Paul's missionary report to the church, uh, an update on his circumstances. So the missionary letters that we receive that give a breakdown of what's been going on, the things that have been accomplished, that's been going on even since, since Paul been sending those letters. With, Here's an update. Here's how things are progressing. And here in this this section, we see that his imprisonment has not stopped the spread of the gospel. We see it has actually led to greater ministry opportunities. In the following verses, we see Paul offering encouragement to his audience. We see the sovereignty of God on display. We see how God uses a situation that by the world's standards would be a setback. He uses Paul's imprisonment to accomplish far more than might have been accomplished if Paul had been in Rome under his normal missionary circumstances. How God takes something like Paul in prison and uses that to further his ministry, to reach people who otherwise would not have been reached. So if the church in Philippi is fretting about Paul, if they are worried about his imprisonment, maybe they're asking him questions like, Why are things happening like this? Why are you where you are? Why is Paul in chains? How is the gospel going to spread with Paul in prison? And here in this letter, he seeks to reassure them that there is no need to worry. They can look at the results of Paul's imprisonment, and they can trust that God is still fulfilling his mission. 
So verse 12 says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So he starts out that, what has happened to me? Right? What are the circumstances in Paul's life right now? What is the thing that's going on? He is in prison. Right? That's, I took you back to Acts 28. And in there it tells us that Paul's in prison for two years. He is in Rome in prison for two years. It's not an easy situation. It's not a simple thing. It is a difficult situation. And the outcome's not certain. Paul could receive the death penalty. It's a possibility. And we also learn in that Acts passage that in Rome, in his imprisonment, he has his own house. It tells us that he is able to rent his own house. And people can come and go as they please to visit him. So on one hand, he has this benefit of, of the freedom, per se, of his own house. And he also has the obligation of renting a house and providing for his own needs while being chained. He does not have the opportunity to make provision for himself. That is why this letter to the Philippians is a result of the Philippians sending a gift to him to help meet his needs. So that is one need that he has, one thing that is, this is not an easy situation. He has to, has to provide. And yet, even with Paul being in prison, it does not mean that the spread of the gospel has come to a halt. Paul's mission did not stop when he was put in prison, when he's in chains. It tells us in that Acts passage, he He's in his own house. He's allowed guests. They can come and go. It says that boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's doing this in chains. So that gives you an idea of who is it that is hearing his message, those who either are coming to him or those who are chained to him. And what we ultimately see in this passage is that Paul's imprisonment is the God-appointed means by which the gospel will take, make progress in the world, specifically in Rome. See, it's no accident that Paul is in prison. This is the way that the gospel is advancing. This is the means that God is using. And when you think even more about it, Rome... Rome is the capital city of, of the power that, be, that is at that time. It is the center of the civilized world at that time. What greater place to be for the spread of the gospel? And Paul is there, and he's in prison. You're like, oh, I'm in the place where I can have the most effect, and I'm, and I'm locked up. And yet, he is used mightily, even as in his imprisonment. And to think about it, the gospel has been spread further as a result of his time in prison. That's why he says that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Because I am in prison, the gospel has been able to go out even more. And Paul's not saying the gospel has progressed in spite of his hardships. 
not saying, well, even though I'm in prison, it's the gospel still going out in spite of this difficulty. No, he says, it has progressed because of his hardships. Because I am in prison, the gospel has advanced. This difficult thing, this suffering that I am enduring, that Paul's enduring, is serving to advance the gospel. This is the means. God is using it. And we can, we can sit and ponder and think and say, well, Paul could have freely met with his fellow Christians if he wasn't in prison. How much more opportunity would he have had to spread the gospel if not in prison? But you'll find, even just in the, the next verse there, he has access to a whole different audience because he's in prison. He has access to the palace guards, which otherwise he may not have had a foot into the door of the palace had he not been in prison. It provides a whole different opportunity. It's given him access to an entirely new and different audience than it, that he could not have reached in a, any other way. If he had just traveled to Rome as usual, his audience would have been totally different. So again, yeah, he says there, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He is looking at his circumstances, this difficult thing, being in prison, and is serving to advance the gospel. It is the means. It is the way it is happening. Verse 13 says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Different translations might say praetorian guard. So if yours says that, palace guard is a little easier for us to understand. Right? The, those who are in the palace guard, these men would have had contact with and interaction with the elites of the Roman government. They were part of the palace guard. One of their duties would have been to, to guard people like Paul. The other duties would have been to be on guard within the palace. It gives them access to those in higher levels of authority that Paul could not have just went up to and shared the gospel with. It also gives him a captive audience. He, he says that he is in chains for Christ. And typically, from what I was reading, was some of the, one of the ways that they would guard a prisoner is they would chain themselves to that prisoner. He has a captive audience. Paul can't escape from them, but also they cannot escape from him. If Paul is going to be sharing the gospel with them, they are going to hear it. They don't have a choice in the matter. So because of this thing, because of Paul's imprisonment, because of the way he's being guarded. This imprisonment made the gospel known to people in the highest levels of Roman government. These, these guards who hear it can then, may very well have placed their faith in Christ because of their time chained to Paul. We may very well see men in heaven who guarded Paul in Rome and then take their excitement of that message into the palace with them. 
You even see in the end of, towards the end of Philippians in chapter 4, verse 22. He says, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So we don't know whether these were people who were converts because of Paul's ministry at that time, or if they were converts through other means. But I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that there would be people within Caesar's household who are impacted because of his ministry to the palace guards, because of his chains. He has an impact even within the Roman palace that he otherwise would not have had. He has a foot in the door of the palace because he is in prison. This imprisonment made a way for the gospel to spread that wouldn't have happened otherwise. See, God allowed for Paul to suffer imprisonment so that the gospel may be spread to others. His prison ministry has a reach that he could not have achieved by any other means. He could not have reached the people that he reached in prison were he not in prison. So that is one in verse 13 there where he says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, right? There is one object, the palace guard recognize that he is in chains for Christ. And then he adds, and to everyone else. So not only just the palace guard, but to everyone else. I don't know if it's a stretch to say that all of Rome, that all those who may look at him in prison and see him there and wonder why he's there, they can recognize that Paul's there for the gospel. Paul does not see his imprisonment as a defeat. Rather, God is using it for good to advance the gospel. He's not saying here, I'm in prison, I cannot continue, this is too hard. He is saying, I'm in prison, God is using this to advance the gospel. That statement of in chains for Christ. So it's, He's talking, it is known he's not a common criminal, but he's in chains on the account of Christ for preaching the gospel. He is not the typical criminal being held. He is not there for stealing. He's not there for murder. He is there because of his faith in Christ, because of what he believes in. And that is made known. Verse 14 says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So he says, On account of the chains, because I am in prison, because of this thing, this is a result. Most of the brotherhood, the majority, have been encouraged. Men have stepped up and served in a greater manner because of Paul's chains. Again, this is what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Not only has he got this extra ministry because of who he has contact with in prison, 
but the other believers are encouraged because of him. They are becoming more bold. They speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly because Paul is in prison. So instead of being deterred or intimidated by Paul's imprisonment, they are not, it is not a source of fear for them. They've actually become more bold. They are encouraged to share the gospel. It has had the opposite effect of what we think it should have. They are not afraid of going to prison themselves. And this could be, this could be the, the church in Rome, believers in Rome, and it could be believers in prison with him, others who he might see. He is renting his own house, but any interactions with other prisoners who are Christians, what a source of encouragement to see Paul and to have him say, hey, look at my prison ministry. It's flourishing. Look at all the people I'm able to reach. And you're like, oh, wow, I hadn't considered that. I was here suffering, saying, oh, is me, when actually I have a captive audience. I will now be bold with this. I thank you, Paul, for that encouragement. So Paul's willingness to suffer for the gospel, his ability to rejoice in the midst of suffering, sets an example for other believers. It is a source of encouragement. It is a source of boldness. It gives them the ability to share the gospel without fear. You see, faithfulness under difficult circumstances will be used. God is working out his purposes. The things that we think are setbacks actually serve to advance the gospel if we look at them rightly, if we have that gospel mindset, if we say, God, how can I serve you in this? Even in the midst of this difficult situation, what opportunities are you giving? <clears throat> so because of Paul's imprisonment, Christ is known among the palace guard. Because of Paul's imprisonment, Christ is boldly preached by the other believers in Rome. Because of Paul's imprisonment, Christ is known among Caesar's household. There have been so many positives is what he's telling us, that have come out of being in prison. Do not worry, the church in Philippi, that I am in prison. Do not be concerned that the ministry has come to a stop, that the gospel has come to a halt. Look at all these things that God is using. This is a means that God has used to further the spread of the gospel. More good is being done than otherwise would have been done because of his imprisonment. So many men have stepped up and filled in that Paul's efforts have been multiplied. The encouragement they receive from Paul in prison has served to make his efforts even greater than he would have if he was not in prison. Verse 15, he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Which is an interesting thing to think about. Like, how do you preach Christ out of envy and rivalry? And you know, as, as you continue through this, in the end, in, in verse 18, he ultimately says, I rejoice in those who preach Christ out of rivalry. 
Those who preach Christ in order to cause harm to Paul, Paul rejoices because ultimately Paul's concern is that the gospel message is preached, is that the Christ is glorified. And even those who do it out of spite for Paul are still serving the Lord. And so then you might wonder, like, well, why are they, why are they rivaling with Paul? Like, why would you, why would you go against Paul? Like, he seems like, he seems like the guy. Like, why would you be angry with him? And so you get this some different ideas. You know, some may have viewed Paul's imprisonment as a sign of God's rejection of him. Like, if Paul was really a good servant of God and really doing what he should be, he wouldn't be in prison, right? How many times do you think that? You'd, maybe the idea that if Paul was truly walking with the Lord, he would not be in prison. Maybe Paul's got some secret sins we don't know about, and now he's suffering in prison because, because of those things. It sort of takes you back to the book of Job. Job is, has all his friends that come to, I don't know if I'd say comfort him, but to counsel him. Because so many of them are saying, Job, you've done something. There is some sin in your life. There is some reason that all these bad things are happening to you. And there's not. These things are happening to Paul because this is the way that God is advancing the gospel within Rome. This is how God has chosen, chosen to impact the city of Rome. And impacting Rome impacts the whole Roman world. This is the center. From there it goes out. Maybe there's jealousy of Paul's apostleship, his authority, the success of his preaching. Right? Paul's the one who goes, he takes the gospel out to places where they may not have heard it before, and people come. People are converted. People believe in Christ. He has the apostleship. That is a, is a special, special position. He has authority, right? When he, he is writing, we have many of his letters that we look to for guidance. So maybe there's jealousy. But whatever the reason is for their envy, for their rivalry... They are rightly preaching Christ. They are sharing a true gospel, but they're doing it with wrong motives is what we ultimately get to. The reason why they are preaching Christ is a poor motivation. See, they view themselves as rivals to Paul. There is contention between them and Paul. There is strife. There is conflict. They see... Maybe it's a competition, right? How many people can I win versus Paul? And not in a like, hey, let's go have some fun and see how many people we can evangelize this evening. But no, like, Paul, I've got more converts than Paul has. Look at my list, you know, this, this rivalry. <clears throat> and yet Christians are not in a competition to win souls or to gain a greater following. We are to glorify God and not ourselves. The ultimate goal is not to see how many followers you can gain. The ultimate goal is to glorify God. 
is to point people to Christ. Some people are better at that than others. We have people throughout history who, Spurgeon and Edwards and some Moody, you have so many different men that you can look at. Wow, look at their ministry, look at the fruit that it bared. And you even think Edwards was eventually voted out of his church by his own people. Was like a, it was like a over 90% majority they kicked him out. And it wasn't because he was preaching on truth. They ultimately, they, they didn't want him anymore. They didn't like him anymore. And it wasn't because he wasn't true. It was this sense of rivalry. And even Spurgeon had problems with that. So many of these men who we look at that were like these great preachers of the word, rivalry comes up. Contention comes up. But ultimately, the goal is to point to Christ. It's the goal is to give the glory to God. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This instruction against rivalry. Don't worry about how many people they have brought to Christ. It is not your job to compare yourself to them. It is to be devoted to one another. It is to honor one another. It is to glorify God. It is to, to share Christ. He says, but others do it out of goodwill. He has some preach Christ out of rivalry, some preach it out of goodwill. And in verse 16, he says, The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So those who preach Christ out of goodwill, they don't take Paul's imprisonment as a sign of God's rejection of Paul. They don't question Paul's apostleship. They understand that Paul is in prison because of his boldness in the gospel. They are not wondering what terrible thing did Paul do that he is being punished by being put in prison. They're saying, no, he is true to the gospel. That is why he is suffering in prison. They understand that. And they also understand that Paul is in prison by the will of God in order for the gospel to reach people that can only be reached by Paul being in chains. They're not wondering why is he there. They're saying he is there because God wants him there. Because in there, he will serve God best. He will accomplish what God desires to have accomplished. Verse 17 says, The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So selfish ambition literally means one working for hire. They are in it for their own gain. What benefit can they derive from preaching Christ? So they, they lift up Christ in order to lift themselves up. They use their ministry to promote themselves, to gain a greater position, to gain honor from men. It is self-seeking. They are looking out for themselves. 
and they are kicking Paul while he is down. You know, it says, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Not only is Paul in prison, but he also has fellow believers who are seeking to cause harm to him in prison. They intend to call, cause Paul distress. They desire to shape public opinion against him. They want to see Paul's ministry harmed in the process. They slander his character in order to make themselves look better. Their goal is themselves. But you note that even though it is selfish ambition, which is their motivation, they are still preaching Christ. They are still sharing the gospel. People are still hearing a true gospel message, even though their ambitions are wrong, their motivations are wrong. And you see Paul's response in this. Paul cares more about the reputation of Christ than he does about his own reputation. It poses a question of, do you care more about your reputation or the reputation of your Redeemer? Which is more important to you? And ultimately, you see his response in verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So Paul's joy is not based on his circumstances or what other people think of him. He draws joy because the gospel is being proclaimed. The important thing is that Christ is preached, whether from false motives or true. So if Paul were preaching the gospel for his own glory, he would be upset if they were more successful than him. He'd be upset if they're making him look bad, but he is not. See, they are proclaiming Christ. It is not another gospel that they preach. Although they do have mixed motives, they're not heretics. They are misguided. They have false motivations. And yet, in the midst of that, Paul can rejoice because the name of Christ is exalted. So even in prison, when others are turning against him and his name is being slandered, Paul is rejoicing in the Lord because Christ is preached. This is the source of his joy. It is not his circumstances. It is not how people view him. <clears throat> it is not by how many tally marks of people have come to Christ because of his preaching. His joy comes because Christ is preached. The gospel is going out in spite of the circumstances in his life. So there's a lot of things we can draw from this passage, a lot of, a lot of application. But ultimately, we would do well to follow the example of Paul to have our ultimate joy to be in the preaching of Christ. 
Paul's motivation is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does not look to his circumstances as the source of his joy. There are times in life when our circumstances bring us great joy, and there are times in life when our circumstances contain no joy for us. And ultimately, Christ is to be the source of our joy. That is what we, we learn from Paul here, what is reinforced. See, he looks to the progress of the gospel and how God is working in difficult circumstances to further the gospel. That is his hope. That is his joy. And ultimately, we see through this that God is in control. God is the one who put him there. And he is using this to further advance the gospel. And we can take comfort in that. In the midst of difficult circumstances, God is in control. This is not pointless. The circumstances in our lives are no accident. So our, our natural orientation is to look to our own circumstances as the source of our joy. The things that are happening to us, that are going on around us, are where we often draw our joy from. And it's not that it's wrong to take joy in life's circumstances. The Lord blesses us with good things that are wonderful sources of joy. But our ultimate joy needs to be based in Jesus Christ and the work that he, he has done to reconcile us to God not just in our circumstances, because your circumstances change. If you're always looking to your life and what's going on for your source of joy, life will be a roller coaster. If you look to Christ, you will have stability. You will have continuing joy. We also see here this question of what is your ambition? What is your goal? Are you working for your own glory or for the glory of God? He had these other men who were preaching Christ out of rivalry. Right? They're, they're serving God even in the midst of rivalry. But it's good for us to evaluate what are our goals. Are we doing things for Christ? Are we doing them for ourselves? You see here also those who stand with Paul who are encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. You get this example of, are you willing to stand with your fellow believer when they preach Christ to a world that despises the gospel message? Will you encourage your brothers as they share Christ? Are you encouraged as you see Christ preached? Do you draw boldness from that? Others are watching you, much like those they were watching Paul. And you can either be an encouragement or a discouragement to other believers. Will others be more or less bold for Christ because of you? Our actions have an impact on those around us. Does the faithfulness and steadfastness of others in Christ encourage you? Because it should. We should be able to, there's a great encouragement looking to other believers and being encouraged by their faithfulness. It's one of the like, great benefits of reading biographies of believers from the past and the things that they did. And you see this picture in their life of how God has worked in them and how they trusted. And it can be a great encouragement to us. 
So our trust should not lie in the one who is suffering, such as Paul in this situation, but it should lie in Christ. And we should all be pointing one another to Christ in the midst of difficulty. That is when your brothers, your sisters in Christ need encouragement, we point them ultimately to Christ as their encouragement. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to, to study your word, to, to draw truths from it, to, to apply it to our lives, Lord. Um, we thank you for Paul and his ministry and the impact that that has had on the world. Um, we thank you most of all for Jesus, for, for dying on the cross for our sins, that we may have peace with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In your hymn books to 534. We're going to stand and sing this, and I want you to notice the chorus. Jesus, Jesus, I trust him. How I've proved him.